Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Good morning. <laughs> Today we are on our fourth and final week in Ephesians chapter 2. Before I dive in, I want to remind us of the four themes that we've been highlighting through our sermon series in Ephesians. Also, shout out to my family in Ohio. They're having a little watch party, so love you. <laughs> so the first thing, we've been reading every single you in this text as y'all, in, not just because we're in the South, but in order to understand that the passages are in a community-oriented focus. Um, they're intended to allow us to understand that instead of our individualistic tendency to gloss over that as me. Um, while doing this, we're also noticing the we's versus you's in the language referencing the Judeans versus the Gentiles in our letter. And in case my title, which I should have said is We Are the New Temple, didn't already give it away, we'll be seeing this theme a lot in our passage. So the second theme is the new order in Jesus, which we'll see in our passage today, as well as unity in Christ, Judeans, Gentiles, and unity between heaven and earth will also come up in this section. We are not going to be discussing the powers. I know, darn. <laughs> so this morning, I want to start our study of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22, by looking at the layout and design of chapters 1 through 3. So we've been working our way through Ephesians in this series in order, verse by verse. Because of this format, uh, each sermon is naturally building upon the previous as well as leading into the next. But one thing that we've been reminding ourselves about throughout this is that we're reading a letter and it's basically someone else's mail. And I don't know about you, but I normally read letters in one sitting. Don't worry, we're not about to read all of Ephesians. <laughs> but here on the slide, I have a quick summary of the first three chapters from the Bible Project. As you can see, the layout of these chapters is a wonderful symmetry with our passage for today at the center. So this section is bookended by what the Bible Project are calling songs or poems, two beautiful passages of praise and worship found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and then in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Then as we move towards the center, we have two prayers. In chapter 1, we find a prayer for an apocalypse, which John Ely dug into earlier in the series. Remember, the word apocalypse here means a life-changing revelation, not some sort of world-end-timing zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and coming in chapter 3, they'll learn a little bit more about the second prayer as the grasp for the Messiah's, the understanding of the Messiah's love. Then surrounding the central point are two more sections, Chapter 2 containing these two sections about how we've been brought from death to life. And Chapter 3, which will be coming up next, introducing the herald, so to speak, of the life-changing apocalypse that is being brought to us in this entire letter. Then in the center of this new temple, the victory we have in Jesus, our Messiah. So the climax of Chapter 2 and the focal point of these three chapters is actually found in the section that we're covering today. How exciting. So I wanted to start here with this summarized overview of the first half of Ephesians so that we can have like a bitter, better, bigger picture view of how these few verses fit into the whole structure of this letter. 
This is something that can be difficult to grasp when we go verse by verse reading the letter of Ephesians over the course of months instead of one full sit down. But now that we're able to see where we are structurally in the letter, let's pick it up here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. You can follow along in your Bibles or I'll be having the verses pop up on the slide. So verse 11, therefore remember that at one time, y'all, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that y'all were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, y'all, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the, Christ, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to y'all who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, y'all are no longer strangers and aliens, but y'all are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, y'all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's kind of a lot. <laughs> but Tim Mackey in the Bible Project summed this section up so nicely when he said, y'all were this, chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. But God, 13 through 18, now this, verse 19, and then the new reality found in 20 through 22. So we'll go through this and see what these mean. So y'all were this, what? Uncircumcised, basically not part of the Jewish religion, right? Separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to be that. <laughs> and I know I just said y'all, but let's be honest, changing all the yous to y'alls doesn't change our entire lives lived steeped in a culture that emphasizes, celebrates, and focuses on the individual. But Paul isn't talking to individuals here. He's talking to people whose culture is as grouped focused as ours is individualistic, which is just like hard to comprehend. So it's like when you're watching a sporting event that's played by teams, right? So football, basketball, baseball, pick your favorite sport, right? When a team loses, it's not one person who lost, it's the team. Sports commentators, fans, they can all talk and argue all day, was it this play, was it that throw, was it that person who lost the team's game, who lost it, who won it? But in the end, the team that lost, lost. The team that won, won. There's no quarterback, no matter how great, who will be counted a winner if his team loses. And there's no pitcher, no matter how terrible, will be counted a loser if his team manages to pull out a win. That is y'all. That's what we think about with y'all. We are not quarterbacks. We are not pitchers. We are a team. 
So y'all were this, alienated, without hope, and without God. But God. Let's look at Colossians really quick to see how Paul summarizes this concept in a different letter. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The law that caused us to be Gentiles who were separated and alienated and without God was made null by Christ, nailed to that cross. As Lynn puts it in her commentary, Paul relegates these practices to following cultural customs that celebrate God's goodness, but are not essential for holiness within the community. Thank God, because I love bacon. So <laughs> here we are, finally, in our verses in focus today. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to y'all who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So verse 17 is actually a reference to Isaiah 57, verse 19, where this peace, far off, and peace to those who are near, was intended for the Judeans abroad, scattered abroad by the Babylonian bad stuff, and the Judeans near who were in Jerusalem. But now, this near and far here in Ephesians, it applies to more than just the Judeans. It is also for us, for the, the near and the far, the, the Gentiles and the Judeans. And also, in contrast here, might not pick up on this in our Western 2,000 years away from it minds, but the Judeans had access to God. Yeah, of course, one day a year one person in one spot. It was not like what we've got today. So this was big, right? So we were alienated, hopeless, and without God. But God sent his son to fulfill the law. And now we all have access to the Father. So now this, verse 19. So then y'all are no longer strangers and aliens, but y'all are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So the language used here doesn't really speak a whole, whole lot to us, but in Paul's time, these terms had very common, general, understood, and practiced meanings. Strangers here meant complete foreigners who had no rights. Aliens were non-citizens, but they were people accorded certain privileges like your neighbors. And then citizens were able to enjoy the full protection and rights of the city. In the time when this letter was written to the Jews, the Jews were God, sorry, in the time when this letter was written, the Judeans were God's chosen people. Everyone else, the Gentiles, they were outside of the faith. They were, it was obvious in their minds that the Gentiles would be brought into the Judean faith, right? They would be brought into the people of Israel. So to pick back up on that like team analogy, there was a strong temptation among the Judeans of that day to feel like the Gentiles were joining their team, which sounds very innocent, maybe even kind of inclusive, but this was actually leading to division. So some Judeans wanted the newly converted Gentiles to 
follow the law, to get circumcised, and even sometimes would hold them in contempt as like a lower class of people. And what Paul is saying here and what might not like spark to us is that the Jews and the Gentiles were becoming part of God's team. They were being part of the household of God together. The Gentiles aren't joining the Judean religion. The Judeans aren't leaving their covenant with God to join the Gentiles. God is saying to both groups, join my team. So we were alienated, hopeless, and without God. But God sent his son and fulfilled the law. And we, we, wall, we all, y'all, have access to the Father. And, you know, y'all, wall, yeah, whatever. Now this, we are able to become members of the household of God. Like, that's, that's God we're talking about. It's not just like my family or Will's family or you know, God's family. But wait, there's more. <laughs> so what's this new reality here? This, this like peak moment in chapters one through three. So we'll read a little bit. What, so then y'all are no longer strangers and aliens, but now y'all are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, y'all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, so what exactly are we hearing in this passage, right? Fellow citizens, members of the household of God, joined together, built together. The images Paul is using to describe our new reality are a family, a temple, and this growing mention in verse 21 brings to mind a tree. So I have three questions for you guys. Is this a family? Or is this a family? Is this a church? Or is this a church? And is this a tree? Or is this a tree? And our Western mindset is over here like, but you can't have a family without individuals. And you can't have a church without stones. And I mean, trees can't survive without leaves. But that's not the focus of this passage. Paul is drawing to a powerful conclusion here, and it's entirely focused on the unity, on the family, on the fact that the new reality isn't solitary. It's not individual reality. It's you are not the temple. We are the temple. Y'all are the temple. The team is the temple. And there's a really cool quote that I found in the NINCT discussing unity. Um, because I feel like that's a big thing here because we are Western, we are individual, and sometimes unity conjures up ideas of sameness and yes, master. Um, but <laughs> unity here, she says, unity necessitates that differences remain. Otherwise, one has not unity, but sameness. The unity, to the unity produced in Christ celebrates difference and the diversity is not asymmetrical in terms of power. So that diversity doesn't lead to power struggles or power gaps, it's not that way. The rejection of favoritism helps us understand the type of unity Paul desires. It is not about creating uniformity, but, announce, but about renouncing cultural privilege. 
So yeah, cool, we're a temple. What does that mean, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a temple. That sounds cool, I mean, we know temples are cool, right? But that doesn't translate too well in our current culture. So in Paul's day, the temple was where heaven and earth met. Like I said, one time, one day, one, uh, it's an incredibly significant place in this Judean society, and there's actually temple imagery throughout the Bible. So in Paul's day, the t- um, sorry, next paragraph. In Genesis, God created humans in his image, and while Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was no need for a physical temple. They lived in harmony with God, each other, and nature, and Unfortunately, you might know, spoiler alert, but the first humans chose to disobey God and became alienated from the presence of God. And next up, a few years later, Moses said, let my people go. (laughs) And the Israelites got out of Egypt. After which, God commanded the people to build the tabernacle. And this was um, a massive tent that served as the temple and a place for God to dwell with his people. It was a tent, so it was, it was portable and movable. And while the people were making their way to the promised land, he was able to dwell with them in the tabernacle. Eventually, it was replaced by the temple that King Solomon built in Jerusalem. And like a large portion of the Bible is talking about building the temple. There's like paragraphs of how to, like I say paragraphs, chapters on this gold and this carbuncle and this and that. It's like, it is, the, the Bible cares a lot about the temple. Unfortunately, Just like Adam and Eve, Israel refused to obey the word of God. And the end result is that that temple was destroyed and the people were carried away to Babylon. Later, a faithful remnant of the people returned to Jerusalem and built a second temple. And I'm sure you'll be super surprised to hear that this one didn't last too long before falling into corruption either. And this is actually what it says about this people in the second temple in Malachi chapter 1. I'll just read it really quick. It says... A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? No. And now, entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. That's rough. Like, shut the temples. They can't keep sinning. Like, wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But that's the temple society that existed in Jesus' time. That's what was there. The religious leaders were so hell-bent on maintaining their power that they tried to forbid Jesus from healing on the Sabbath. And eventually they crucified their Messiah. They're they're Judeans, their Messiah. They crucified him, which is crazy. So thankfully this wasn't one of those like three strikes and you're out kind of problems. Because after the tabernacle, the first temple, the second temple, Jesus showed up on the scene and this, this temple that has been the center of the Jewish faith and a large part of the Hebrew Bible is completely changed. 
Because of what Jesus accomplished in his life, death and resurrection, God does not only dwell with us as his people, he dwells in us as his temple. So, I feel like I just blinded through that. But what does this text mean to them and how would they have applied it? We're going to go to our four layers of interpretation. So, this apocalypse, this life-changing message here would have rightfully been like electrifying to the Christian community, the Gentiles especially. Full citizenship in the household of God, no separate and less and then and no separate and less than equal addition to the Judean religion that some were suggesting, but for every Christian, finally full access to our God and Father. So what does the text mean to us? How can we apply this to us, right? We are the temple. Half of this apocalypse message is relatively old news to us. The second temple was destroyed 2,000 years ago by the Romans. I literally just had to explain why the temple was even important. These days, it's not at all controversial to preach that God doesn't dwell in physical buildings and that the other, but so like, I mean, that's common Christian faith these days. So yes, old news. But the other half of this message should definitely be life-changing for us. The level of unity and community that is inherent in this life-changing apocalypse message, we are a team. We are the tree. We are the family. We are the temple. We're not bricks and stones and leaves and one single person anymore in this. There's a reason that Compass Christian Church's mission doesn't stop at following Jesus. We apply this together. We apply this in community together. We live together. In our family units, we, we share our homes. How does this apply to us? Think of a community that expresses Jesus' love, and that is how it applies to us. Joining in with the, Christ, with the community here on a food drive, that's living together. Loving each other, taking care of each other baby food when the babies are born, the whole meal train that lasts for like a month and a half of just like delicious food for all the mothers. Like it's anything that you can think of that applies community together, a team. You hurt, I hurt. He hurts, we hurts. Happiness, it's all together. Like I think, I, I, think, I think I'm making my point here. I see a lot of nodding. I think you guys get it. It's a family and it's, we're the temple. We, we, not, not just y'all, not just you, not just me. We are the temple. So I want to close with a prayer. God, I want to thank you for everything that your son accomplished in his life, death, resurrection. Thank you for the temple that you are building with every generation of Christian that has come since then. I thank you for the community that we have here, specifically Encompass Christian Church. I thank you for the way that we're able to grow together in a community, grow together in love, grow together in friendship. Thank you for how we are able to live your word together and teach your word together and be those examples, not only for the people around us outside of our community, but for the people in our community. Thank you for the hospitality, for the giving and the love and the service. And I just want to thank you so much for how You've placed each and every one of us in your body as it pleases you and how blessed we are to be able to serve together. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. 
For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.